something about being locked in somewhere and something about trying to lock out people. Now, now let's try to figure out what that has to do with what we're talking about today. In John's Gospel, the 20th chapter, we begin the chapter with Mary going to the tomb, which we would have celebrated and read on last Sunday, on the first day of the week, it says. She goes to the tomb and finds the body missing. And we read through that chapter. We see that she's alarmed and she's looking for the body. Peter and the other disciple, who's probably John himself, who's writing that, they come, they run, they see the strips of linen cloth. And, and yet we see that there is some degree of ambiguity and some degree of of, of perplexity and paradox because it's not like they see John and Peter see the strips of cloth lying in the tomb, the empty grave. It's not like they run out and say, hallelujah, let's go have church. They see all of that and they, in the text John says early up in the chapter, a little bit before our text here at the beginning of verse 19, he says, this, you know, that disciple saw and believed. He said the rest of them had not yet understood that Jesus had to die and rise from the dead. And so what happens is that we find out that the people that we see in the pages of Scripture, the people that we see in the Gospels, the men and women that are presented there, are real human beings just like you and me, right? Real people with questions and doubts and perplexities and, and real people. And throughout the Gospels, don't we see it time and time again that that those around Jesus still have a hard time figuring out exactly what he's trying to tell them and exactly where he's going and what he's doing. So what happens is we come down to verse 19. And it says this, On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord, the text says. And it goes on, it says, again, he said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then he, it says this, with this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, what is going on in the minds, I think, of the disciples is that this whole saga was not supposed to have ended this way. This was not the way it was supposed to have turned out. First of all, they didn't expect him to die on the cross. And so the resurrection is a bit confusing because they're still getting over the death. It's like you've got God has healed you from your sickness, but you can't comprehend that because you're still tripping because you got sick in the first place. You know what I'm talking about? Can I get a witness? They had been with Jesus and seen all the things he had done, and Jesus was the man. Jesus was awesome. We sang about it today from, the, from, from a, 
a post-resurrection standpoint, he's amazing and incredible and supernatural. They, they saw that up close and personal. They saw Jesus at work. They saw the things he did. He was incredible, and he was, he was raising up a movement that they were a part of, and they were looking forward to, 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 to following him on into, into his destiny, into greatness, into the things that he w- would accomplish and do. And they, weren't, they had their designs as to what they wanted and what they expected. But whatever it was, they, they, were, they were on board, but they did not think it would end like it ended. And what happens is that he dies on the cross. They scatter. And now in this moment in the text before us, we're, past, we're on the same day where it says, in the evening of that first day of the week. So we haven't gotten far in the calendar. A lot has happened for them within the space of a couple of days. Early Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene finds the tomb vacant. A little later on, they examine the tomb, and then the word is spread around. But here in the evening, they find themselves, look, look, look where they find themselves. They, they, are, they are gathered together. They are together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. The fear, I I get the sense that the fear among them and around them is almost palpable. It's, 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 It's thick as a cloud. Fear has enveloped them and fear has overtaken them. And, and there is a certain irrationality to their fear. As you look back, you wonder, well, what do you think, guys? Do you think that the, the Jewish leaders are going to accuse you of being grave robbers and come and jam you up and take you to jail and ask you where the body is and what have you done? Do you think they're going to come and, and try to implicate you in this whole thing? What are you afraid of? They don't know. Sometimes you're afraid and you don't know what you're afraid of either. Sometimes you're scared and you don't know why. Sometimes you are unsettled and you can't quite put your hand on it. You know that something just isn't quite right. And so they're dealing with this fear. And what happens is is that they literally become locked in a prison of their own fears, a prison of their own making, a prison that they have created themselves. And in the midst of this, what we see is that they, in this moment, have forgotten their calling. They have forgotten their mission. They forgot their identity. They've forgotten what they're supposed to be about. And so their outlook on life is no longer from the standpoint of being self-sacrificial because that was what they were called to do as Jesus was. But now they find themselves preoccupied, obsessed really with self preservation. I think you and I can relate to this kind of fear. Every single day, somebody's telling us what we need to be afraid of. Amen. And I understand the the proper response, the, the, the role of fear in our lives. It serves a purpose and fear in its rightful place properly responded to and properly managed is very important. You should be afraid. You should be afraid of jumping off that high diving board if you never learned to swim. You should be afraid of getting behind the wheel of that car if you haven't learned to drive. And you should be afraid of some of the people on the freeway that are driving around you. But if you're too afraid of those people, you won't drive at all. 
Every single day, we're, 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 just, we're just riddled with all the things that we're supposed to be afraid of, the crime. It's interesting because we, we, we hear news reporting is so much better, so now we hear so much about crime. And then we find out that really statistically crime, although it is now temporarily up in Los Angeles, over across the board nationally, is down. But you would think from listening to the media that it is raging out of control. We're told to be afraid of this and to be afraid of that. We're told to be afraid of immigrants. We're told to be afraid of sickness. We're told, you know, what was it? It was one year it's Ebola, now it's Zika. What's next? It's all, there's always something that, that, that we're, we're being encouraged to be afraid of. We're told to be afraid of poor folks, be afraid of rich folks, <laughs> be afraid of what we lack, be afraid of having too much, be afraid of our past, and be afraid of one another. Everywhere we look, fear is being just, just heaped on us. And so like the disciples in those early moments of their experience after the resurrection of Jesus, we find ourselves, if we're not careful, locking ourselves in some proverbial upper room and basically holding up behind a locked door waiting for the other shoe to drop, wondering what's going to happen next. And no... Unlike my home in Carson, where I grew up, it's not a house that is protected with bars and double deadbolt locks and schlag and quickset and all those things. It is a space of our own creating within ourselves, a space that we carve out within our own minds and our own hearts. Fear. Fear is Terrible, terrible enemy, particularly when we don't confront it properly. Uh, Aung San Suu Kyi, political, you thought I was speaking in tongues, didn't you? Political activist, prisoner, winner of the Nobel Peace Prize, said it like this. The only real prison is fear, and the only real freedom is freedom from fear. Uh, Angela Merkel, German chancellor, once said this, that fear has never been a good advisor. And that many of us have been ruled by our fears and we have been captivated by the, this, this, this task of self-preservation and we have found ourselves in these, in these self-imposed prisons of our minds, of our hearts. We have tried to shut everybody out. Some of you know what I'm talking about. We, we are afraid of, of what, what might happen or what people might do to us or what people might say to us or what, what, how people might think about us. They may not like us. They may not love us. They may reject us. And so we put ourselves, we, we hide ourselves away in a little place and we lock the door and we, and we sit on the key. Because we don't want anybody to invade our space and to get into this world because this is our safe place. We, are in some, we feel like we're in some type of witness protection program. And we are, we are tucked away somewhere safely. And, and, and you know what I'm talking about because there are various ways in which we withdraw and retreat and hide out emotionally and spiritually. And we disconnect and, 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 we, and we shut ourselves off from the world. And we find ourselves, just like the text says about the disciples, we find ourselves together. With the doors locked for fear of, not the Jewish leaders, but for fear of your family, for fear of other Christians, from fear of persecution, from fear of difficulty, from fear of sickness. We, we find ourselves together, but we're locked. Or sometimes for us, sometimes we're together, but it's a very small group because there's just three people there. It's me, myself, and I. But we're locked behind closed doors. 
See, you got to understand something about Jesus in his resurrected state. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this. He says, there's there's a regular body like the kind you got. See, this this body has got a certain, I'm I'm going over to Popeye's body. You mean I got to go around? The resurrection body, and Paul is telling the believers of Corinth, says, you, this, is what you, this is what you should look forward to because this, the physical body is one thing, but you, you're going to have a body, and it's going to have a physicality to it, but it's also going to have a kind of a spiritual thing to it, and it's going to defy the laws of physics. And so Jesus, I'm kind of glad that, see, you, you can lock yourself in, but you, sometimes when you lock yourself in, the problem is that you obviously are locking others out, and you might suppose that you are, you are going to lock God out, but here's the good news, whether you like it or not, you, you can lock yourself in, but you can't lock Jesus out. Because Jesus, first of all, in his physical existence post-resurrection, that's true now more than then, but even in that moment, you see what happens with that body. Because it's like, there's no record in the text we, we just cited that, it, that, that, that he came to the door like he does in Revelation. Hey, fellas, this is Jesus. Hey, man, let me in, bro. Who is it? It is I, the Lord. Go away. We don't want any. We heard you was a Jehovah's Witness. I am indeed a witness for Jehovah. <laughs> Go away. He didn't even bother to knock. You know how when you, somebody's over at your house and they're, they're visiting and they get ready to go and you're doing something, they say, well, I'm, let, me, let, me go, let, me, let me walk you this Oh, that's okay. I'll let myself out. Well, Jesus is like, he's, he comes to the door and... He stands, he says, you know what, that's okay, I'll let myself in. And he just walks on through the wall. And the text says that they were, they were there, they were together uh, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. And Jesus stood, he appeared among them and stood in their midst. It's like, boom, hey, fellas, what's up? I don't know about you, but I see something there that is kind of challenging and kind of encouraging and kind of fascinating. And it reminds me of this, that, that, that though we, are, we have the doors locked for fear of and you fill in the blank, though we have locked ourselves in, Jesus shows us in this instance that with his resurrected body, walls are, of course, no barrier, locked doors, no impediment. And you say, well, it's not the physical resurrected Jesus in this time and place that I'm dealing with, but now you're dealing with the presence of the Holy Spirit, the other comforter that Jesus said I was going to send who is everywhere and all over the place and who is where he wants to be. Like the wind blows, he's there. He's in and out wherever he wants to be. You can keep yourself, you can lock yourself in, but you can't lock out the presence of God. Jesus came, it says, and stood among them. And I'm going to tell you something. I believe this morning that Jesus is among us. And when Jesus comes and stands in your midst, I want to talk for a few moments about three things that I believe he'll always bring. The first one is peace. He'll always bring peace. Secondly, he'll always bring purpose. And finally, he'll always bring power. But let's talk about that piece for a moment. Because notice twice in, in the text we cite it, he, he comes and he, he, he stands among them and he says, peace be with you. And then he shows them his hands and his side. 
And then they're overjoyed, the text says, when they saw the Lord, the disciples were. Then once again it says again, he said, peace be with you. In other words, Jesus is handing out a lot of peace this morning. You know, Jesus in this moment is handing out a lot. He's, he's saying, peace. He knows that they're distraught. He knows that they're confused. He knows that, they are, that their minds, in, in the words of, of, of a song from a long time ago, are caught up in a whirlpool. He knows that, they, that, that this situation got them going around in circles. He knows the confusion. He says, I need to, I, before I say anything else, before we go any further, the Prince of Peace steps on the scene and says, listen, Peace be unto you. Now, I can tell you peace. And you know what? It's powerful. If you tell your brothers and you say, peace be unto you. May the peace of God rule and reign in your life. May peace be with you. That's powerful. And we should do that. We should speak peace to one another. We pray for each other. God, I pray the peace. I speak peace over this situation. And that's, that's good to a point, right? But, man, when the prince of peace speaks peace to you, because you got to remember who we're talking about. We're talking about the one who a little while back, they remember this about him. They're on the ocean, on the seas, on the water, and the storm is raging. And Jesus is just back there in the boat chilling, chilling. And he, he and, 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 and they say, you know, in, in the words of the authorized version, carest thou not that we perish? And how, song says, how canst thou lie asleep? You know, and he says, all right, all right. And he gets up, he looks at me. Peace. No, I don't even think he did all that. He said, peace, be still. See, Jesus don't have to holler. We, I had to holler because I got to try to get for Jesus don't have to holler. Jesus didn't have, to, didn't have to, he didn't have to go, peace, be still. He said, all right, peace, be still. And all of a sudden, the waves flattened. All the surfers are mad. All of a sudden, the winds cease to howl, and the sailors out there with the sailboats are saying, oh, man, we got a wind now. He says, everything is calm. And they say about Jesus, remember what they said? They say, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? You see, when Jesus speaks peace in the midst of any situation, when Jesus speaks peace to anybody, when Jesus speaks peace, when he gives the word of peace, I don't care what you're countering. I don't care what you're facing. I don't care what you're going with, going through. When the Prince of Peace says, peace be unto you, peace comes. And so he speaks peace to them. He will always bring peace when he comes to us, whenever Jesus is in our midst. So if there is, now there's, there's a kind of unrest that comes when maybe the spirit is working on us and convicting us. And sometimes we feel like, wow, I got to deal with this and that. But when Jesus shows up generally, he doesn't bring confusion, he doesn't bring more anxiety, he doesn't bring more guilt and more condemnation. What he brings first and foremost, he speaks peace to us. He says, peace be with you. Greek word, erene, which is a parallel to the Hebrew word shalom. And it's important to understand what that means because peace doesn't just mean, as you know, for many of us, peace is like this. You leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. You don't mess with me, I don't mess with you. Let's have a peace treaty between us. A peace pact. You go your way, I go my way. You go this way, I go that way. I won't talk to you. You know, peace is the absence of conflict or the denial of it. It's, it's where there's no active. But see, in, 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 in the scriptures, particularly in, in the Hebrew, uh, in that word shalom, which erene is, is, is the word that in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of, of the Hebrew Bible, uh, Irene is the word used 
to render shalom. And so it has a different and a more comprehensive and a more holistic meaning to it. Peace, when Jesus speaks peace, it doesn't mean that may nobody talk crazy to you today and may you not get in any arguments or any fights with anyone, and not even with yourself. <laughs> but what it means is, rather than simply the absence of conflict, it means to be complete. It means to be sound. Peace means to be whole. It means to be lacking nothing. It means to be completely what you were created to be. It actually even means this, to live well. And so when Jesus speaks peace to us, it means that the broken places of our lives are coming into, in, into line with his healing plan and purpose for our lives. When Jesus speaks peace to us, it means that where there is emptiness and where there is lack in us, he is bringing wholeness and fullness. When Jesus speaks peace to us, it means that he is bringing completion where we are incomplete. And I'm reminded of what the scripture says in Colossians when, when, when Paul says, understand this, that in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Trinity bodily. And so if Jesus dwells in you, then guess what? If Jesus is complete, then you are complete in him. So you have everything you need. He's the head of principality and power. Peace means coming to terms with, with your wholeness and completion. Peace means to live well, to live that abundant life, to be living. Not that everything always goes right. Not that you have a whole lot of stuff. But you, some of you have come to know in the realm of the spirit, in your walk with Christ, you've come to know what it's like to get to that space where, you know, everything ain't perfect in my life. And I still got some issues because y'all, how many of y'all got issues? I got some. I know we know about you, Pastor, but don't do, remember when you pointed the finger at me, you got three pointing back at you. But you, some of you know what it's like when you get to that place where you find that space of rest in God because you realize that the battle is over, that my soul has been anchored in the Lord, that I have been saved not by what I did or what I do, but I'm saved by grace through faith, by the blood of Jesus. It's a done deal, and I have been blessed and resourced, and I am, in the, I am blessed and highly favored in God. And, and yes, I got, I got some aspirations. I got some questions and concerns, but somehow in this moment, I kind of, I'm in this space where I realize I have everything I need, and I still want to get better, and I still want to grow, and I still want to learn more, but, but I feel like I'm I found some kind of completeness in God. And if you haven't got to that point, I pray that you get there. But Jesus, when he shows up, he speaks peace to us. He says, peace be with you. Notice what he did. He, it goes on to say, after he said this, he says, he showed them his hands inside. See what happens? Jesus shows up like today. We, we're together. And he has stood in the midst of us, so to speak. When we went to communion. He showed us his hands and his side. And as we, and what, what happens is he's showing the fellas, he said, listen, understand something. I'm putting you at ease. Do you understand? Because, and you understand, and you realize how kind of interesting this is because though they had walked and talked with Jesus, though they had a, an intimate and personal friendship, something about the events of this moment, something about the crucifixion, Something about the about the resurrection, something about him and his resurrected state, something about the state of their hearts and the fear that they're that they're consumed by. They they don't readily immediately recognize. It's like Mary at the tomb. She thinks she's talking to the gardener. Would you tell me where you've hidden and take me to Mary? Rabbi, it's oh, it's you. Wow. He says, listen. I want you to understand something. I'm coming to you. And, you know, sometimes you, sometimes we get afraid when Jesus steps into our space. 
because sometimes you see people tell you, you know, you better watch out because God going to fix you. God going to get you. He, when God shows up, he going he to, you know. And so we think, man, if Jesus shows up, he's going he's gonna to take a lot of the things that are near to dear in our heart, to our heart from us. He's going to take all the fun out of our lives. He's going he's gonna to bust us out and, 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 and to everybody so everybody knows all our business. He's going to embarrass us and, and beat us up. And, 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 you know, and they're thinking, can you imagine what they're thinking? Because it's like they've been through this thing. And remember what happened when, they, when Jesus got arrested. What did they do? They didn't like, hey, we're with him. Come on, what were you going to do? I was like, well, we're going to get out of here. <laughs> and the police come. You know what y'all do. Now y'all got iPhones. I'm going to stand. I'm going to take a video. No, wait. <laughs> Put that camera away. So that might they be thinking, Jesus is not coming just to, to minister. Jesus is coming. He going to settle the score. They, they, he, he got crucified. He got arrested and falsely convicted, and we ran off. He rose from the dead. What is he going to do? What is he going to say? Is he going to tell us, you guys are useless. You guys are losers. Is he going to consign us to the, to the bad place? Is he going to, is he going to say, you guys, are, I'm, I'm casting you off. Is he, going to, is he going to give us some sort of holy beat down? What is it going to be? He says, listen, fellas, look at my hands. You see, you see these holes, these marks? Oh, and you understand that we, 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 we suspect. We sus- suspect from the scripture that because so you think about Jesus he died he rose from the grave so that must mean that when you if you see Jesus in his person now because Jesus he retains his humanity he didn't become something else he is forever the God man and do you think when you see him oh God healed all that up or he got some kind of heavenly plastic surgery and it's all good now it's all clean the feet are all beautiful and you know Jesus is all fresh and all that stuff and, and the side is all you know he had that all sewed up and had plastic surgery and and by God God did it you know and, and no you get the sense that when you see him he's going to always remind us of what he went through for us he's going to always remind us of the depth of his love and compassion for us because he will bear forever we believe the marks in his hands and in his side he says fellas look at me look at what I have done look this is me you saw me hanging you see the holes in my hands this is me and I did it because I loved you I did it because I cared about people. I did it because of the Father's will and purpose for my life. I gave my life to you. This is me. And in this moment, I didn't come to bring you more confusion. I didn't come to beat you down. I came to bring peace to you because that's what I'm about. Peace. Peace. This is me. He says it again. He says it twice. Peace. Now, he always brings his peace. Now, but the second thing that we realize is this, that Jesus will always, in addition to speaking peace into our lives, when we encounter him in those spaces, he will always remind us of our purpose. He will always speak purpose over our lives. He will always remind us, you and me, as he did his disciples, that we are men and women of purpose. That we are in relationship with God through him and through his sacrifice and that God has a specific and express purpose for our lives. And one of the problems in this, in this account is that 
when you are consumed by fear, you tend to lose sight of your purpose. Huh? You must not have agreed with what I just said. When, when we, when we're consumed with fear and with, 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 with preoccupation about the situation and the dangers around, when we have shut ourselves into this little space, oh, in that moment you forget that, you're, that your life is about something much greater than you. Your life is about something much greater than self-preservation. Your life is about something much more than just take, looking after number one or looking out for number one. But look what he says to him. He says in verse 21, second part, he says, as the father has sent me, I am sending you. I want to remind you guys of something. He's saying, you have been with me. You have walked with me. I have taught you. You have been my disciples. You have, you have, we have sat and ate together. We have, we've enjoyed life together. We have suffered together. We've been persecuted together. He says, but understand them. You know, one thing about me, Jesus would say, you know that I have been sent by the Father. I said it over and over again. I demonstrated it in everything I did. I, I told you that I came to do God's will. I told you, I don't say nothing unless God says it. I don't do nothing unless God tells me to do it. You guys have seen that in me. So you know that I've been sent by the Father. This is the way it works, guys, he says. Just like the Father sent me, he's, I am sending. Now, lest we think that somehow we can escape that process, that ball keeps rolling because uh, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then he would turn to us and say, oh, by the way, y'all down there in 2016, sitting in the church in Inglewood, as the Father sent me and as I sent my disciples out, and I sent out generations and generations of other people, I gave them a sense of purpose. I, I, I positioned them to be change agents in the world. I, I, I gave them the, the task of sharing and demonstrating and my love, even to the point of through every generation, through over, over a couple of millennia, just as I sent all of them, guess what? And in the word, in the old word, so send I you. In other words, I don't care whether you didn't win or not, but you done been sent. But, but, but go back with me for a moment to this, this thing of purpose, because look what happens. In, the moment, in this moment, the disciples become apostles, because apostles, the word, the word has to do with being sent by God. They, they are followers to this point, and they've exercised some leadership, and they went, you know, some of them went out. There was a 70, and he went out and tried to you know, heal the sick and cast out demons, and then they came back in, right? They went out, and then they said, okay, that was a nice, we went on tour, and the tour is over, and now we got to get another job, right? did that. But in this, in this thing, he's saying, listen, understand this. You now are apostles. The followers have become the leaders and the believers have become the sent ones. And so purpose changes everything. You believe that? Purpose will stir you up in the midst of your complacency. Purpose will challenge us to overcome our doubts and fears and insecurity. When you have a sense of purpose, when you know what you're about, when you know why you exist, when you know why God has placed you on this planet, purpose gives you a, a reason to get up in the morning. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you know what you say, if, there's no, if, there's nothing, if my life ain't about nothing, I, can, I may as well sleep till 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Get up, 
brush my teeth, eat dinner, and then go back to bed and sleep some more. Purpose wakes you up in the morning and, 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 and ushers you into the day and, and gives you something to live for. Purpose causes you to plan and to think and to strategize and to get up and do something. Purpose gives us a reason to show up. Uh-huh. Purpose gives us a, a meaning to our lives and it liberates us. It frees us to do something, to take chances, to try new things. To step out in faith because realize God has called me and placed me in this world. He has a purpose for my life and my life is about something. I, you see a lot of people are trying to get their self-worth from just mere verbal affirmations. I, I'm just, my affirmation is I'm, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. Doggone it. People like me. And he's a senator now. I'm good. Just say it over and over. I, I'm, I'm the best. I'm the best. I'm the best. I'm the best. Got the test back. D. Oh, I'm the best. I'm the best. <laughs> Went to work. Your, your performance is severely substandard, and you're always late, and you leave early, and you go for two-hour lunches when we only have 30. Oh, but I'm the best. I'm the greatest. I'm, I'm the greatest. I'm the best. I'm the best. You know, they're driving. It's like running red lights. Please, please. What's wrong with you? I, you ran three red lights before I pulled you up. I'm the best. I'm the best. It, it, it don't work. It just, you know, you just, it's, it's, it's just more locking yourself behind some door of unreality. What happens is when you know that God has placed you where you are, made you who you are, and given you what he's given you for a divine purpose, when you realize that as a human being, you have inestimable worth and value because God has breathed his life into you and his spirit, placed his spirit inside of you, and he has something that you are to do that nobody else can do but you. Purpose. Uh, purpose propels us forth from the prisons of our own, of our own thinking, the prisons of our own prejudices, and, and, it, and, it, and, and it, it, it compels us to engage with others and to, to get out in the world and to rub shoulders with people and to be about something. Purpose. And so he reminds them of who they are. He says, guess what? You're the called ones. Actually, you're the sent ones. And I already called you, but now I'm sending you out. You, I, I've got some work for you to do. You, th- th- this story isn't over. I know you're scared, and you, again, you think you're in the witness protection program in Jerusalem, and you're locked in here, but understand that this is not the end. Some of you this morning, and you're at a place in your life where you are shut into some small space, and you think that your life is over, that somehow God is done with you. You think that you can hide out from, from what you are to be and what you are to do and, and what God wants from you. I'm here to tell you this morning that God has a purpose for your life, and you can't run from it. You can't hide from it. You better embrace it because that's where life is and that's what you've been looking for all your life purpose affirms our identity and what Jesus is doing I'm reminding you who you are you are the sent ones I want to remind you who you are this morning you are the called you're the chosen and you're the sent don't be don't be the chosen frozen but you have been sent by God now no, I'm going a little bit further here I'm Rush through this. You see what Jesus says. He shows up among us, and it's like he's in our face. And you don't tell you you better step off. Now you say, yeah. And and I got a ways to go here. You know, he whether we invite him or not, he reminds us that God created us for something greater than ourselves. God created you for something greater than you're living even in this present moment. God has created you for something greater than just 
self-preservation. Christ has redeemed us to be more than consumers. We have been redeemed and been placed in the world as more than conquerors. We are givers and lovers, not just takers and users. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, unless, I want to straighten one thing before I move on to the last point here. And I know some of you think, wow. He's saying, so I know, because what happens here is the, the disciples, they, they, they uh, you know, they have this encounter with Jesus, and they're going to go out and do stuff, right? And they're going to travel. They're going on the road. Do I have to, like, get some new suitcases and stuff? They got the cool ones. Now, you know, now they got the ones that roll flat like this. I said, man, every, every t- 50. I just got the one that rolls like this. Do I have to get my passport? I don't. Do I have to leave my family? See, and you can, we can say it like this. Being sent in the sense that Jesus is sending them in the, in, the, in the sense that you and I are sent is not about location. It is about vocation. Uh, you can be sent by God and be right, stay right where you are if that makes sense to you. You understand what I'm saying? Because he's saying, I'm sending you in purpose. Whether you go somewhere, some of you will go to places. Some of you will go to the ends of the earth. But whether you go somewhere or stay, the purpose is that you understand your purpose and that I am am placing you, even if I've placed you where you've already been. It's not about necessarily location. It's about vocation. I have a job for you to do. I've got work for you to do. I have a role I want you to play. And so... Before we move on, I must say this, that this sense of purpose that comes through Jesus speaking to us and reminding us that we have been sent just as he's been sent, it's the key to our emotional health. It's the key to our, our, our emotional and mental well-being. It's one of the things that will enable us to combat depression. Some of us are depressed. Some of us are, are anxious. Some of us are confused. Some of us are distraught because we have for too long thought that our lives was just about us. And after a while, you burn out on that. You thought your life was only about feeling good. You thought your life was only about pleasure. You thought your, own, your life was only about the things that made you happy in the moment. And you made yourself happy, happy, slap happy. And after a while, it's like everything gets old, no matter how wonderful it is. But it is purpose that will, that will lift you out of the, the mire of despair and bring you, set you your feet on higher ground. Purpose enables us to, to unlock the deadbolt of, of fear, to, to throw open the doors, if you will, to step outside the room. Because what happens is the room has become more like a tomb. In fact, some, some commentators say there's, a, there's an interesting parallel between the room and the, and the tomb, the locked room and the sealed tomb. And isn't it interesting? Jesus has, 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 has stepped out of the tomb. And, and understand this, that we talk about the stone being rolled away. The stone wasn't rolled away so Jesus could get out. The stone was rolled away so that they could go in and see that he wasn't there. Because Jesus, as we see in the, in the text before us, Jesus, you know, he didn't have to like, oh, would somebody please, can you guys roll this thing? I'm, I'm ready. I'm, 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 I'm going to get up out of here. You know what I'm saying? It's like, uh, Jesus, you, but he's out the tomb, but they, now they're in the tomb, in the locked room. But it is purpose that will bust us out of that thing and send us out into the world. But here's the problem as we transition to the next point. I'm going to hasten along here. Famous last words. Purpose without power is kind of pointless. Okay? Purpose without power. In other words, you know what you're supposed to do and what you want to do. It's like there's some projects in your life. I want to get my garage organized. That's one of my purposes in life, right? 
It's one of my big, one of my big trials over the last 15 years. Is my garage goes from a state of moderate sanity to utter chaos, and then in a fit of of of, uh, of, of effort, it you know, I bring it back to some sort of containment. But what I need is I need some I need some stuff. I need like some more money, but I need I need some money because I need to like build build some cabinets in there, right? That takes money. I my other neighbor he got the epoxy on the floor, so he, he got a Corvette parked in his in his in his driveway. He never drives. I don't understand that. I, his wife don't understand it either. He said the tires cost four hundred dollars each, and they dry right out, and you got to buy some more. You never. But but I, I need that takes. But all it takes money. You know, there's things we want to do as ministers. Things I want to do as projects. Things we want to do. And every so I got a purpose. You, you know what I'm talking about when you this is something you really want to do with your life, but you don't have. I want to go back to school, but I ain't got the money. You know what I'm talking about? That kind of thing. And so you can. It takes power to fulfill purpose. It'll always take some kind of resource, something that that, that fuels that. But but look what happens here, and this is. You might think this is weird if, you have, if you're not hip to it. It says, and he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, stay with me here this morning. because I, I, I'm fascinated by this. He, he, I love y'all, but I know we, anybody don't want to go right breathing on everybody. Especially if you, you know, ate at the Chinese restaurant for lunch. And you had the garlic, the double garlic broccoli chicken. And you're like, hey, Pastor Charlie, hey, what's up, bro? <laughs> oh, but, but Jesus, he, he, he get, you, you got to be within, you got to be within face. You got to be close to somebody to breathe on them. I, I can't breathe on my wife from here. Uh, that would be scary. Oh, he, he, but he got in their face and he invaded their space and he breathes on, the, breathes on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. He's spoken peace over them. He's, he's commissioned them. He's conferred upon them a purpose that will propel them outward. But now in this moment, he realizes that, that he want, needs them to realize that in themselves, if they go out without empowerment, if they're sent out empty handed, if they don't have the spirit, they'll fail. They will not realize their purpose. They will, they will become discouraged inevitably and abandon their purpose. They will not succeed in their mission unless and until they have been empowered. In themselves, in their own limited abilities, they are totally as are you and I, incapable of fulfilling their purposes. To put it another way, their purpose will never be fulfilled until they have been filled with power from on high. And so Jesus breathes on them. And it's interesting because the Greek word translated as breathe is emphusao. It's an interesting word because it's the same word that is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament Septuagint in Genesis 2-7 that says this, And the Lord God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. The same word in the Greek uh, translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, emphusao, 
And it, it's the only use of that word within the New Testament. And so it seems that John is trying to get us to understand something. That just as God, the breath of life that was inspired into Adam, that, that in a human and physical sense brought him to life. So for us in the realm of the spirit, the breath of, of the Holy Spirit, the breath of God in the, that Jesus breathes into our lives is the thing that brings life. In other words, for you and me as Christians in the life of faith, in our relationship with God, doing the work of God, fulfilling our purpose. There is no life, there is no power unless Jesus, unless you allow Jesus to breathe on you and unless you do what he says because he's Inevitably, he's giving something, he's dispensing something, but he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, now, you know, even if you go into Ezekiel, you you ever heard a sermon on the Valley of the Dry Bones? He says, nobody said, no, we we ain't been to no kind of churches, Pastor. Ezekiel, God takes me into this valley and all these bones, and there's some candies bones live, and then... Basically, you know, you, I don't know, Lord, you know. And so then, and then the, the, God says this to the wind. He says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon, breathe upon, breathe upon these slain that they may live. And so he breathes upon them. And he breathes upon us, you and me. And he wants to continue to breathe upon us. And he wants us to become reliant upon the breath of God, if you will, the, the breath of Christ. In that breathing, he confers power, but he also confers authority. Because that's where these strange words come from in verse 23. And you wonder what in the world I'm talking about when I cited them a few moments ago. He says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. What in the world is Jesus talking about? What in the world is Jesus getting at here? Because we know this. It's clear in Scripture. You start with what you know, and then you go and you figure it out, right? We understand that no one can forgive, no man can forgive any other man's sins. I can't forgive your sins. And if you're R.C., if you're Roman Catholic, or if you're, you know, Anglican, where there's the, the, the confession is, is, is practiced and absolution is, is rendered, they're not forgiving. The priest is not forgiving your sins. No man. Jesus said, you know, because that was the issue with Jesus. like, you know, he says, you know, your sins are forgiven. This is in the Pharisees. They say, what you talking about? Your, Jesus, your sins are forgiven. You, you, this is blasphemy. He says, well, what's easy for me to say? Take up your bed and walk or your sins are forgiven. Hey, I'm the, because I want you to realize that the son of, the son of man, I have power within myself to forgive sins. Is, uh, what he's doing is equating himself with God. Jesus has that power. You and me as human beings don't in that, that sense. But what he's hitting at here, what he suggests to us. Though I don't have the power to forgive someone's sins, we as the church have the, we've been given the privilege and the authority to convey to others the message of God, God's forgiveness to them. In other words, we don't effect forgiveness, but we carry the message of forgiveness. We are authorized by Jesus when we are preaching the gospel and loving and ministering to people. When we see genuine repentance, we have the privilege and the power and the authority to say, your sins are forgiven, not because I say so, but because it's obvious I see in you genuine faith and true repentance. Likewise, when we see somebody that's, that's claiming to have been forgiven and every shred of evidence points to something else, 
The church has the authority to say, you, you ain't where you need to be. Somebody recently questioned, they said, well, the Pope should be ashamed of himself because how can he, you don't, you can't judge anybody else's uh, religion or whatever. And the, the, the and, and I just wanted to, I say, I just, I wish they would, somebody would call me and interview me on this because this is the way it goes. You know, we don't judge each other. I'm not questioning your motives, and I'm not running around saying, you know, I tell you something, I'm not you're saved, you're not saved. And that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about being petty and picky and judgmental and, and always, you know, criticizing people. But, but there's a time. Come on, be real about it. Uh, there's a time. The New Testament in many places says there, these, these are the qualities and the characteristics that, that, that accompany true faith in Jesus. These are, this is what you'll, you'll begin to move toward. You'll see some change in heart and some change in attitude, and your, 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 your behavior will have to begin to conform to the image of Christ. And so, so the church has the, not only the, the, the freedom, but it's more of a responsibility to sometimes to say to somebody or to say even to an, an entity or whatever to say, uh, it's not there. To that one individual that I'm speaking of, that many of you know, but I'm not going to say his name. Everything within me says that I, I see no, not a shred of evidence. And I'm not going to say he's not saved, but I, will, I would not be hesitant to say there's some, you need to check yourself because there's something missing. So, so what ha- but, but what happens is that we have the privilege and the responsibility of, of on the positive end of it. When, when people turn to Christ, first of all, in, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, understand this, that we are as Christians... We are emissaries. We are ambassadors for Christ. And so our role and our place in life and in the world is to encourage people to be reconciled to God, to bring people and God together, to connect people, to say, would you meet, I want, you to, I want to introduce you to your dad. I want to introduce, introduce you to your heavenly father and, 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 to, bring them, and to put them in, in, in touch with Jesus and to say, God loves you and he gave his son for you. And if you'll put your trust in him, you can get back in, in alignment with your creator. That's our role. And, and that's what he's saying. Listen, y- you in your work, in your, in, your, in, your, in your loving and in your serving and in your giving and in your community and on your job and all those things, what you're going to be doing is in a sense, you're going to be providing people a pathway to forgiveness. Your, your coworker didn't know that their sin, that that thing they did could be forgiven until you told them that you gave them that Bible verse that talked about the grace of God and forgiveness, and then their life was changed forever. You know what I'm talking about? And so he's not saying that it's just that we have the power to forgive sins, but we convey that and we communicate that, and we, we are sometimes placed in the role of being mediators of that forgiveness and to, the, to the extent that we, that we preach the gospel and, and minister to the needs of people. I was thinking about it. I mean, we're talking about power. Energy and authority. Talking about the fact that we've been given this thing, says we've been given this place in this whole forgiveness scheme. Going back to the purpose, let's connect this not all together. Understand this. Do you see the possibilities? That should be the fourth P. Because all right, you've got the purpose and the power with the purpose. And so the purpose isn't pointless. And so then the, 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 the powered purpose provides purposes. No, po- possibilities. <laughs> and I, I was thinking about this. And when I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this from the heart. And I'm not trying to be, you know, all that. But I, but I think about this stuff because I, I need 
I was, I'm going to shock y'all. Sometimes I need encouragement, like every 15 minutes or so. And sometimes God comes alongside me and puts his hand, Jesus puts his hand on me. Sometimes Jesus comes in in my face like he does, and he breathes on me. He says, would you get your act together, boy? But sometimes he, the Lord, in, in, in those precious moments of fellowship, meditation, he reminds me of stuff. And I started thinking about my life because I'm, I'm very aspirational. And uh, I, I, I've always, I, you know, I always wanted to do great things, and I always wanted to, and, and I don't, it, I, I, and I thought about it. I, I never, getting rich has never been my, my main thing. <laughs> it, that wasn't, I, I, when I went into ministry, I didn't think about money. I didn't think about fame and notoriety. I thought about the fact, wow, God, you called me to do this thing. And okay, I'll do it. Because what, what I, and what I discovered is this. This whole thing about the role, see, because going back to the, you can stay locked up. Y'all give me a few more minutes, right? I have the ushers hold the door. You can stay, we can stay locked up in that strange place. And some folks are locked up even though they're out and about. They're locked up in the prison of their own mind. Uh, but, but I thought about it. Sometimes I'm saying, Lord, what, what is my life worth? I pastor a small church. I complain, you know, and you know, I complain. I said, Lord, I got, I don't have a real office. And Lord, I this and that. And Lord, you know, and I, blah, blah, blah. And, but then I begin to think about it. I begin to think about the fact. God reminds me. This, this, this kid from, this kid from Carson, KK. <laughs> I, God placed me over here and I think about, start thinking about folks. So I realize that there are people, and this applies to me, but applies to many of you as well, that there are people. Because one day I caught a hold of purpose, and because one day I said, Jesus, I'll let you breathe on me. I'll receive the Holy Spirit. Because one day I said, he said, you, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. I said, okay, Jesus, I'll go. I was on staff in another church. I said, I'll go. I, was, I, was, I could have done any number of things, but I said, oh, God, I'll go because you, you sent me. And what happens is I, you, over, the, over a period of time, you begin to realize that it is exciting because there are people who are forgiven because somehow God and his wisdom through this guy's talking and through a conversation and through a, a coffee at Starbucks. There's some families that, are, that have been healed because I just showed up and did what God told me to do. There, there are some people who got their lives together that, that grew into maturity, not because I was so deep, but because I was available. Oh, hallelujah. And the same is true in your life. There, there are people that, God, that are strategically placed. God has placed you in their lives, and, and, and there's something that God has given you that they need that they won't get anywhere else. That's why somebody was trying to tell me, well, maybe if your church isn't what you want it to be, you should quit and come work with me. I said, listen, I'm not going to do spiritual euthanasia on a church that's alive and well. Because I see the breath of God blowing in this place. I see the life of God in these people. And I look around me and I see folks and I know that God isn't through with us yet. I know that God isn't through with you. I know that God, even in this moment, is doing a work that is so far beyond anything we can imagine. Because we are people of purpose and we've been breathed on by the Spirit of God. I think about it, say. To think about it, maybe there's a kid that grew up in an intact family because you were there to tell their, tell their, their daddy, would you get your act together and do what's right? 
to think about the fact that maybe there's somebody that, that stayed out of, out of prison because you, you pulled them aside and helped them to get it together. To think about the fact that somebody passed from death unto life, that someone's eternal destiny was, 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 was affected because you were faithful and obedient to God. That's what, that's what the power would do. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to be, we're called to be, and we used to sing a song about this, we're called to be history makers. We're called to be world shakers. We're called to make a difference. But you can't do that if you're, oh, you can't do that if you're locked up in some little confined space in your life. You can't do that if you're concerned with self-preservation. You've got to bust out. You've got to break out. Life is too short. The need is too great. I said I wasn't going to get all worked up today. Oh, but he said the potential is too powerful. How can we spend our lives? And you know people, hermits they call them, spend their entire life locked away in some raggedy room somewhere. I don't envy that person at all. Remember, Steve Jobs said to John Scully, Scully was the CEO of Pepsi. Jobs wanted Scully to come work for Apple. He said, do you want to sell sugared water all your life? Or do you want to come with me and change the world? I have to admit, the boys changed the world. So I have evidence because many, most of you got some Apple on you right now. Some of you are working with it even when I'm preaching because you're, because you're videoing me, right? Their products are all in our lives because somebody had a vision. But you see, the thing is, I don't mean to go this long. I was going to try to get you out of here early, but I don't know why. <laughs> uh, but listen, here's the question. Do, do you want to, I mean, listen, there are a lot of things we got to do because it's the way, I mean, you, 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 you got to go to work. You got to pay the bills. You got to mow your lawn. You got to wash your car. You got to, you know, wash the dishes. You got to cook food. You gotta, but, but do you want your life to just be about mundane and meaningless things or do you want to change the world? I would tell you, Grace Chapel, do you want this to just be another little church on a corner somewhere in the hood? Or do you want to shake things up and change this community and change the lives of people and change this city? That's why the stuff we do is important. I'm not, I'm not trying to go down some different road here. But that's why, and I, that's why we show up and that's why we try to do things the best we can. And that's why we give the best of our service to the master because, man, the potential is incredible and the responsibility is, is, is heavy. But we're called not just to be here. This is not just a little clubhouse for Christians. This is a room full of people that have been appointed by God to change the world, to change lives, to redeem those who are lost, to, to mend broken hearts, and to put back together people who have been, whose lives have been decimated by sin. Oh, my God. Jesus says, you want to just spend your life licking your wounds? and uh, Do you want to just, you, you just be the per perennial victim? I would have, should have, could have, but you know, if they had treated me better. I would have, should have, could have, but uh, you know, it was hard. I, listen, I'm going to tell you what I, I'm not going to do this with you because you have to deal with your own life. I'm going to tell you what I do with me. I, I, I won't, I won't, I, I have, there are reasons why I think certain things are the way they are, but I won't allow myself no excuses. Because when I stand before Jesus, I don't think Jesus is going to say, well, Lord, you know, I would have, you know, I, I was raggedy down there because, you know, it was just hard, Lord. It was like the, it was the 21st century. He said, do you think it was easy in the first century? 
Do you think it was easy during the days of the Roman Empire when they were feeding Romans to lions? Do you think it was easy during the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages during the time of the plague? Do you think it was, it was easy during the time when even within Christendom, Christians disagreed and were, were, were persecuting and killing one another? Do you think it was ever easy? I know the hour's late and I need to, I need to close. I know you need lunch. I do too. Uh, but, but let me ask you, my friend. Do, do you want to spend the, le- the rest of your life chasing empty stuff? Uh, somebody here today, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment to consider that. But listen, do you really want to spend your life just basically chasing the same stuff you've been chasing? And A, you, when, when you did run it down and catch it, it wasn't what you thought it was, and then it got up and ran away again. You spend the rest of your life chasing dollars. Spend the race, rest of your life, do you want to spend the rest of your life chasing skirts, chasing that momentary euphoria that you get from, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, do, or do you want to come along with me? Uh, uh, pretend I'm the Steve Jobs of Grace Chapel. Do you want to come with me and change the world? Do you want to come with me and make a, cha- a difference in the lives of people? Do you want to come with me and, and testify about the goodness of God in Christ Jesus? Now, I know the hour is late. I got it. But listen, listen, listen. Here, here's a, the final parallel, the final application. We are the church. They say, you know, the preacher who did this in, in the Baptist church, he said, the doors of the church are open. That means, that, I mean, we can ready to do the altar call, right? And so that means, and they come down there, right, and they get the chair. They say, the doors of the church. And then like right now, I say, if I, you would say, are the church doors open? I said, yeah. You see the light coming through there? And one of the things, and when I was reading an article about ministry and, and, and wealth, welcoming people, I said, make sure when people come to your church that the doors are unlocked. Uh, yeah, that makes sense, right? And you say, yeah, church is wide open. We in here. But you know what? Sometimes in our churches, we're in this place. The door is physically open, but oftentimes in a spiritual and relational sense, conceptual sense. We are, in the words of the text, together with the doors locked for fear of the changes in the world around us, for fear of the encroachment of secularism upon American society, for fear, and somebody's still talking about prayer in the schools. Wasn't that the 1950s? Get over it. I wouldn't want that teacher to lead my kid. I lead my own kid in prayer, and they and I bring them to church. Are, are we? Are we? We're locked in for fear of uh, of the bad people, and fear that that people are gonna come into church that that ain't like us, and that we don't like. They ain't gonna smell good, and they're gonna come in, and they're gonna be high, and they're gonna come in, they're gonna have a bad attitude. They're gonna come in, they're gonna get saved, they're gonna change it, they're gonna sit in your seat. We are locked in sometimes into a sociological stranglehold because we are just, we become this kind of of ingrown, introverted entity. We are not the church as Jesus has designed it sometimes. Uh, uh, Allow me the the privilege of finishing this out. Uh, Hear me now. The door is open, but the door is closed because somebody comes and peeks in and they look and and everybody turn around and look at what you doing here. and then, or they come in, and 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 they and, and and we start, and somebody comes over and says, "Can I help you?" Usher, mean usher. I tell you, I, I've been to some meaner with the hand behind the back and the patch. There's something about that patch; it gives them empower to be mean. You can't sit here. That's somebody else's seat. And can I sit on the front row? No, that's for the pastor's whole family. They never come, but that's for this family. 
We have invisible barriers that keep people out. And some of those barriers have to do with our own reluctance to look outward and to reach out and to create an, an open environment that really communicates the fact that Jesus loves sinners. And so what, now I got to wrap this up, but what Jesus, what, what, what Jesus wants to do is this. Uh, we need to allow Jesus to come as he does when we worship. I believe when we're worshiping and praising, when God's people are praising, that Jesus comes and he stands among us. And he's here in our midst. Sometimes you don't recognize him because he don't look like you think he would. But he stands in our midst and he's, he's among us. And, and then, like today, when we went to communion, I believe that in a sense, Jesus saying, yeah, remember, these are my hands and this is my side. And that's my body. That's my blood. I died for you. Yeah, we get that piece all the time. We always get that. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 But then the other part, he says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. We're like, what? Yeah, that's fine. But if we like it here. I'm going to serve the Lord in the church. And I, we talked about it Wednesday night. You serve the Lord in the church to some extent. But for the most part, serving the Lord ain't about being up in here, making each other happy. It's about being out in the world where you live, d- demonstrating and displaying the love of God in Christ. It's about doing what Micah said. It's about loving justice and doing mercy and walking humbly before your God. Not being so preachy all the time, but being available to share the gospel, being available to pray for people, loving and serving and giving the people in need and demonstrating what it's like. And that's the secret to our success going forward. We're going to have to get bust out of here and get into other spaces because we find ourselves behind some sort of locked, locked door, some sort of, we're in some sort of confinement, and Jesus wants us to break out. I said, I sent you, but you haven't gone. I, I breathed on you. It, it reflected the creation and prefigures Pentecost. Oh, Pentecost. I'm about ready to go. But I thought about Pentecost because what happens? They say, they, they hear that Jesus breathes on them. Go do this thing. And then they, they're out. And then in first chapter Acts, he said, this is what you got to do. You were in one upper room and i, I Sent you out of there, but now you've got to go. There's another upper room. Okay, Lord, another room. You go there and you wait. Because I breathed on you. I said receive the Holy Spirit. That's kind of a symbolic empowerment in that moment. But you've got to go and wait because there's a historical outpour that's coming. It changes everything. And so they go and they wait. And they're having church. They're up in the upper room. A bunch of sanctified people. And they're praying, oh, God, Jesus, send us what you said. And the Holy Spirit comes on. That day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one accord. Right? And, and then crazy stuff starts happening. Sound of a rushing mighty wind, and nobody rented the wind machine. Then they see tongues of fire. The things look like flames over their head. Nobody had projectors. And, but then the real coup de grace, they, they start talking. And no, they're not saying... Da, 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 da. They're, they're, they're speaking languages that they haven't learned that ultimately when they, others on the outside hear them, they'll say, he's speaking Francois. And this, you know, it's like it's, they're not speaking unintelligibly. They're speaking unlearned languages by the Spirit's inspiration. But I, I got I to let it go. But listen, what happens at the end, this is what needs to happen to us, and this is what Pentecost will do. Because what happens at the end, so you notice in Acts 2, it, it falls on them, and, and they start, you know, like, you know, we, we like to use church in that verb sense. They start having church. They start churching. And they're, and they're speaking in other languages, and they're praising God in, in other languages. And you notice that it kind of breaks out into the street, doesn't it? Because how do them people hear it? And then the people around them say, these guys, these clowns are all drunk. Bunch of alcoholics. 
Peter, Peter, Peter says, these men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. They said, that don't make no difference. If you're a real alcoholic, you get drunk. You still drunk? You know, no, but they're out there. Ha. But you see what happens? I, I got I to finish. When you have encountered the Holy Spirit of God, when you have had a real encounter with Jesus, when you have been sent and commissioned by Jesus, when the, the measure of the power of the work of God in our midst will not be just the quality of our life. It will be the quality of our community life together. It will not be just the quality of our services and how good a time. So you can go home and you at the buffet. Ooh, we had church today. Give me another one of them chicken legs, girl. Here is, here is, the, 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 here is the, the, the authentication of the work of God in our lives, of the, of the presence of the Spirit in the church. It, it does something in you, and it'll rile you up, and it'll stir you, and it'll make you want to shout, and it'll make you want to praise God, but it's going to send you out into the streets. Because what you have, it's going to, it gets to where it's too much. I, I, can't, I can't keep it all up in here. I can't stay. Can you imagine if we got it going on? Hey, glory. And, and what if you're always singing? And what if y'all still started running outside? Some people would think you're crazy. They'd be calling, they'd be calling, the, they'd be calling the, the Inglewood PD and all kinds of stuff. And, but, but the idea is that you, the idea is that there's something on the inside that compels us out to the outside. And that's what the work of the Spirit is supposed to do. It's not supposed to be all about up in here. It's supposed to propel us and drive us out into the place of need, out into the world of hurt and pain and suffering, out among the sinners and the lost people that need what you have. Oh, if you believe that, go on and shout hallelujah to the Lord. And so, stand to your feet with me, if you don't mind, please, if if you're so inclined. You see, the power is not meant to stay in here. The power was, the the work that Jesus did in their lives was not meant to, for them, they had to get out that room. When I was a kid, my mother would make, she said, you got to get out your room, boy. She said, you got to get up, you got to get out. I said, I want to watch TV. She said, you got to get up and get out. You got to go out and get some sunshine. The future of the church is on the outside. Somehow we've got to realize, yeah, we minister to one another here, but the ministry here is primarily preparatory for what God will do through us in the world around us, in, in your neighborhood, and not just talk. Pray the Lord, you know I'm a Christian. But loving, serving, giving, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Witnessing out of a place of realness and authenticity. And when Jesus comes with this peace, purpose, and power, he comes to people like you and me when we're locked in grief like those were around the death of Jesus. When we're broken and hurting, he comes to us with peace, with purpose, and power. He comes, and this morning I just want to challenge you to acknowledge the fact that he has come into our midst and and in your face. And I want, to, I want to challenge you to, in, in acknowledging his presence to behold his hands and his side. He died for you. I want to challenge you to let him breathe on you. To lift your hands in, if you, in, in a sense and say, Lord, I accept the call. I accept the challenge. I accept the peace. I accept the purpose. I accept the power. See, we, we stop. I, Lord, give me the peace, but the purpose and the power, I'll get that later. And I'm like this. Because I know some of you 
you know, I, did, I didn't like that because they got in my personal space. I'm, and you, you need to be, be careful of that. But when it comes to Jesus, I mean, again, people, you know, I'm like, Jesus, get all up in my space. Get all up in my face. Breathe on me and breathe on me some more because I can't make it without you. I can't do nothing without you. I need you in your life. I need your presence. I need to be as close to you as possible. Lord, don't let my, Lord, let my mind, the smallness of my mind keep me from the greatness of what you want for me. Now, bow your heads for me. Two things, we're going to go home. I didn't mean to keep you this long, but I don't, I make no apologies because God is in the house today and and listen, but really, just let me have, I want, to, I want, I want that door uh, held for a minute, nobody moving around. There's two things, and the first one is simply this. This morning, we spoke of Jesus, the Son of God, whose resurrection we celebrated last week, and we celebrate that, and as we look into this part of John, we're looking post-resurrection. The thing we know about Jesus is this. I was talking with a brother this week, and I, I'm 